Let's get let's get started, man. Are you uh are you a foodie? Um, I think I might be a foodie. I don't I don't I don't like that. I don't care for the term. I love it. I love going to restaurants and seeing what's new this season. Like like I think it was last year I started going to bars and I'd see shishito peppers grilled for the first time in my life. Last year was the first time you saw those. Yeah, I don't. I never grew up in a house with shishito peppers. I don't think most people outside of the Pacific Rim grew up in a house with shishito peppers but they're they're uh, they're everywhere or easy make, to make man easy to make absolutely you know or you, you think about food fads mm-hmm. throughout history there have always been different food fads like the the in the early 19 uh 1900s bananas were huge or i guess it was the early 20th century bananas. the bananas see like a steep drop off at some point that i'm unaware of they were they became like a superfood once uh once we had once people coined the term superfood yeah mm-hmm. yeah like goji and berries they thought it would cure syphilis and uh you it, know, does it sure they're like perfect hangover cure so that's why i don't have syphilis great energy yeah and now that's Those two the... bananas i eat a year <laughs> <laughs> are you not a fan of bananas yeah i think they're okay i put them in my milkshakes i don't care i mean that makes sense yeah they're not my favorite fruit. Uh-huh. I like, uh, or dragon fruit's probably going to be big again next year. We always find a new, or goji berries. Yeah. You know? Do you have a go-to dragon fruit spot in the neighborhood? Uh, <laughs> I go I go to Canal Street. I did okay. I up Chinatown for the, you know, I walk past the, the big bins with the eels in them, mm-hmm. and then sometimes there's a cooler on the ground full, uh, chock full of frogs, and I was like, oh, those frogs must be dead, and then one of them hopped. Yeah. I freaked out. They're just dead on the inside. Yes. Well, the bottom layers of the frogs are definitely dead because they're, they're just piled on top they're of each other. They're propping up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I don't, I, as much as I love seafood and fresh seafood, I have a, a, a weird aversion to trying to buy anything from... Uh, the, the Greenpoint Fish Market? No, no. That place is great. Yeah. Chinatown, uh, Chinatown Fishmongers. Do you think they have some black market deals happening? I just, I don't know. Something about it. Well, I was reading Anthony Bourdain's Kitchen Confidential, and mm-hmm. that's when I first learned. This was, I'm so late to the game, but I read it uh, last Better late month. late than never. Yeah. And they talk about the fish markets here in the U.S. and New York City, and they just sound like awful, unregulated places. You're not supposed to buy the fish. What is it? Um, you're not supposed to eat fish on Monday? At a restaurant. Right, at a restaurant. Right. And then, but he compares going to the fish market here in the U.S. to the fish market in uh, Japan, and how it's like, you know, the uh, I guess all of Japanese culture appreciates seafood because it's an island. Yeah. So, <laughs> so there's just much more quality control, and uh, everyone is has a sense of like what's good to buy. Yeah. Versus, you know, sort of going cheap or getting scammed by your by your fishmongers. I feel like seafood is something you should pay attention to, and. Uh... You know, it's okay to spend a little bit of money on it. Sure, like Meat that. in general. That one Japanese guy that uh, who owns this uh, sushi restaurant who just paid like $3 million for a tuna. For a th- an endangered tuna, which is fucking ridiculous. Oh. That was a Japanese fish market, I think. Yes. Yeah, we don't do that here. Now, the Japanese don't care so much about uh, uh, oceanic conser- conserv- uh, conservation. Yeah, they've just uh, legalized. Yeah. They want to just go out there and whale again. Sure. They're like, forget this international ban on whaling we need to we need to kill all the narwhals mm-hmm. you think they hated the movie little mermaid yeah i do i don't think it played well in japan no no mm. 
They only want to see movies where fish get eaten. Yeah, like, why are these fish talking? Why are they not on my plate? They're like, how many millions would you pay for an aerial? Instead of eating the sushi off a woman's body. I think if anyone would eat a mermaid. We're going to eat a whole woman fish. Half half woman, yeah. Half woman, half fish. Yeah. That's the real tasty fish. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, uh, there we are. Uh, You know, we're going back in time to 2009 to watch uh, the film Julia and Julia. It's uh, Julia and Julia. Yeah. Right. And uh, this is uh, another film in our in our sort of uh, food category. Yeah. Eat. So to give you a quick overview again, what we do is Gabe and I uh, get recommendations for all types of different movies. We tend to focus on romantic comedies and food, food-based food movies. Um, that, that's right. Uh, just Sometimes because... we... Uh, I also like uh, la- lady-driven action films. Sure. With uh, with heists, multiple heists. Can't get enough of a good yep. bank robbery in and, my films. And then sometimes we just switch it up completely, depending on our mood. Yeah, it's a lot of films that kind of uh, slipped past my my pop culture radar the first time around. Yep. These are blind spot films. I never saw Julia and Julia, so happy to be here watching it for this podcast today. But before we get started with the actual movie, we're going to talk about the year, 2009. 2009. Wow, yo, Barack Obama, man. He was inaugurated as the 44th president. Of the United States. That's right. So, you know, on the heels of the uh, of the mortgage crisis and um, George Bush leaving office with the lowest ratings in modern history for a president, uh, Barack comes in as the savior. Even now? Uh, I think now. At the time, he was the lowest yeah. rated. Sure, but now we got the—now our president uh, doesn't really understand food at all. He— it came out in the news, what was it, this week that he fed a, a football team? Yeah, the Clemson Tigers. A bunch of Big Macs. Yeah. In the White House. Mm-hmm. I imagine uh, the next group of heroes coming back, maybe like a NASA mission coming back to Earth. Flood Ruckers. He's just like, here's some Lunchables. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you guys like that pre packed food? Yep. Yeah, this has been totally sterilized. Easy to eat. Look, an American bento box. The Lunchable. <laughs> That's true. It is an American bento box. Yeah. Uh, you know what else happened that year? Uh, Michael Jackson passed away. He did. Yeah. So and uh, the movie This Is It came out about him uh, planning for his final uh, tour. His death broke, the, broke the, uh, the online servers. Google, AOL, all of that shit crashed um, within the first 30 minutes. Of and his death It's crazy because you look back and you see the, the body of work that he left behind and the body of uh, videos, the yeah. music videos, tremendous. And a lot of them are really morbid. He had a huge thing for having ghosts and skeletons and monsters in his yeah. videos. I mean, Thriller was the first one of that nature. Yeah, and uh, sad, sadly, Farrah Fawcett died the same day. And uh, this, is, this is why you never want to... Um, you know, you want to make sure that your news doesn't come out the same day that a bigger breaking story comes out because there was almost zero uh, recognition of her <laughs> passing Yeah, in the wake of uh, Michael Jackson mania. Oh, I mean, I don't know a lot of people that would overshadow Michael Jackson's death. Right. I don't even think a pope could. Pope, pope probably would. Eh, you think so? I think it would be neck, neck and neck. Yeah. It's a tough one. It's <laughs> a lot of Catholics out there. A lot of Catholics. And a lot of people like Beat It, too. Yeah. Toss and, up. and almost all of them played a Michael Jackson song at a wedding. Whose side are you on? Or a confirmation. Yeah. 
And then he's also played at bar mitzvahs, so he reaches across the aisle. Oh, he's everywhere. Yeah. He's a non-denominational pop culture entertainer. I bet when uh, when was... the uh, Islamic community breaks fast at the end of Ramadan, they play some Michael Jackson songs. I mean, I think he was the biggest music star that I've ever heard of. Yeah, Zoroastrians, they're into Michael Jackson. I don't know what that is. Sikhs, okay. they love Michael Jackson, Everybody too. loves Michael Dude, Jackson. Dude, Wiccans? Yeah. <laughs> okay. All of it. Yeah. You know who doesn't? Amish people. Unless it's Rumpspringa, in which case the youth are probably listening to him. They probably never heard of him for the most part. Well, the rest, of the, yeah, they can't. They can't listen to the radio. But I wonder if those. they've heard of the Pope. They must have. Yes. See, he, there we the, go. Pope, the Pope works with the devil and modernity. The, <laughs> the Pope is approved of smartphones, so he's uh, persona non grata yeah. in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. You know what isn't? What? Apple butter. I love apple butter. I love you butters and my dad mixed with anything. Apple butter. We would go there just to get apple butter when I was younger. We would drive anywhere near Allentown or Lancaster. Yeah. I went to, uh, I, the first time that I, I had a candy cigarette was mm. at an Amish market in really? Lancaster, Pennsylvania. That's interesting. Because they had like all these stalls with different candies. Right. And I'd never seen a, can- a, c- a candy in the shape of a cigarette before. I think yeah. it was gum. It's gum. Yeah, yeah, it was gum. Gum wrapped in what cigarette paper? Way to go, Philip Morris. We used to have them at the uh, store right next to my elementary school, and it was they covered them with powdered sugar. So if you put them in your mouth and blow on it, smoke comes out. Or yeah, it looks like smoke. What a fucking <laughs> fucked up marketing campaign. I know they're like, they're like we can't do that anymore. So how about Jewel? They're like Joel, Joe Campbell isn't working. So let's just make it out of make candy. <laughs> right? Like, you like the way that feels, kid? Here's a pack of fucking Paul Malls. Uh, you know, in the, I think one of the few films I saw in the theater in 2009 was Avatar. Yeah, I don't think I, I don't think I saw it in the theater. Huge. It, I've my, heard it was huge. My yeah. sister saw it with me, <laughs> and uh, we watched it in 3D. And when the tree gets uh, blown up or whatever, uh, people got really emotional in that theater. You know, uh, James Cameron knows how to pull heartstrings. And I looked over at my sister, and she had little tears streaming down her face from behind the, the 3D glasses. That's heartbreaking. Yeah, yeah. I know they well, remade you, you it. Like, I like movies that will move me emotionally, some sort of catharsis. So uh, it didn't affect me that way, but it did affect her. Well. So what are you going to do? James Cameron uh, loves to make young women cry. Yeah. Really Titanic. What, what he does. Mm-hmm. You know, and what a, what a uh, like, a about face, a 180 for him, because when, I, when James Cameron first started, he was making movies like Terminator. Which was... One of my favorite movies of all time. Sure. So he went he went from uh, like sort of brass tacks, streamlined action films to... Uh, Sci-fi specifically, but yeah. Yeah. He switched it up a little bit. To, uh, to really getting into sentimental emotions and nostalgia. Yeah. I think he also had a thing for the ocean. Uh-huh. I mean, he actually built a sub that would explore the Titanic. He was, he was big into that, uh, that world. He's the original OG Aquaman. He was. <laughs> he, f- he fake directed one in a in a defunct uh, HBO series. Did he? Yeah, Aquaman on uh, the Entourage show. <laughs> That's he actually guest spotted. So I'm sorry that I know that. Uh, but we're not going to be talking about James Cameron today. We we've got a different director. Not anymore, at least today. And we've got a new uh, director writer, Nora Ephron. She's back, man. Yep. Yeah, this is our second Nora Ephron film. The Pied Piper of uh, sentimental white women. 
Yeah, man. We covered her with You Got Mail, which was her like 1998 neoliberal free market catfishing gas lighting nightmare. I've never heard you have a, a more uh, a masked as a rom com. Yeah. yeah, dude, that movie, uh, it shook me to my core. Yeah. Yeah, it chilled my marrow in my bones. And uh, I thought it was just a, a really bleak and sad movie about the closing of small bookstores and sort of the rise of these megastores, mm-hmm. which are now being supplanted by Amazon. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, if uh, they remade the movie, uh, You Got Mail, it would be Jeff Bezos as the uh, <laughs> Tom Hanks character. That is a fair reach. Just uh, scooping up uh, lady CEOs from like Barnes and Noble. Yeah, just lying to them repeatedly. Uh, yep. So let's see uh, what Nora does with this film. Um, you know, Julie and Julia. This is actually her last film. Really? It was, yeah. And it, yeah, this is great because it's an exploration of culinary passions and an exploration of uh, of what it means to be a writer. Culinary and literary passions. Yeah, yeah. So uh, you wanna you wanna hop into it? Let's do it. Great. So I've got a brief synopsis here for uh, Julie and Julia, and it follows the story of two women who will change the world in different ways by publishing books on cooking. And we follow the life of Julia Childs in the 1940s and 50s as she turns her passion for eating French food into becoming a chef who masters French cuisine and then decides to publish the first English-language French cookbook for Americans. And uh, so simultaneously, we're jumping back and forth uh, between Julia Childs and Julie Powell, a woman turning 30 with not much to show for it. She's uh, blown her 20s. And uh, she's moving uh, into Queens at the beginning of the movie. What a bummer. And she's working (laughs) as a civil servant flat catcher for the city of New York, fielding calls about uh, 9-11. Yeah, from people who were directly affected by it in a million different ways. That must have been uh, the the, worst job ever. What a sad, grim job to have. And she is, uh, so she makes a pledge with her boyfriend, uh, played by Chris Messina. Yep. She makes a pledge to cook every recipe in Julia Child's book uh, in a year and to use that newfangled technology of the internets to blog all about it. Right. He gets, he's, a, he's an editor himself, an archaeological book editor. Yeah. Uh, and they're talking. She has a passion for, for cooking stuff. It just makes her feel comfortable and warm. And this, yeah, this movie takes place in 2002. Right. And, uh, By the way, the first mention, we've done a couple of movies that took place in New York after or, and or in or around the time of 9-11, and this is the first mention of it once. Right, because when we watched um, How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days, it takes place right after 9-11, but it's a, a fairy tale New York where there is no scars from a terrorist attack. It was, yeah. And this movie kind of uh, faces that head on. You know, one of the first scenes we see is her going to work, and she walks past the crater downtown. That's right. And, uh, yeah, so that's, so the world of Julia and Julie takes place in, the first place we see is France. We explore France. And uh, I've never been. Nor have I. I know France from the Nora have I. Yeah? Have you been anywhere in Europe? Uh, Yeah, I've been to Spain, Germany. Those two countries I spent a good amount of time in. Yeah, yeah. Uh, But no France. I've never, never really thought about going to France. The language has always been um, a challenge for me. I speak Spanish and... Uh, but I don't, I don't, I don't know how to pronounce the words yeah. in French. I don't know if I could read a French cookbook myself. I, yeah, I don't feel like you can. You know what? It depends. Yeah. I've spent time in, in fine dining restaurants before in the past, and uh, 
I learned more French than I ever thought I would know. Uh, I can read a little bit of it. Honestly. Okay. Yeah, I took a I took a, a test to, uh, application years ago for a French job. And... Nice, my man Sammy over here cracking open that Flaubert. It was a, it was a it was a a thirty page application on French food and French terms, and I I know I knew way more than I thought I would. Yeah, you got that buff, that Bourguignon. Bourguignon, yeah, they 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 hired me on the spot, <laughs> but I didn't take it. Sure. And uh, but I do I like movies that are are uh, in France. I, you know, Inglorious Bastards was one I really liked. Killing Zoe is a a heist movie that takes place in France. That one should be on our list. Yeah, we could watch way. that for this. Oh, yeah. there's another great French film I like, La Haine, mm-hmm. which is uh, translates to the hate, and it's about um, people in public housing in France. Interesting. And you've got three buddies. It's like a Muslim, a Jew, and a and a black African guy, right? Who are all you know, wandering around the streets of Paris after a, a riot in their neighborhood. And uh, that's a cool movie because it, it shows you that, uh, hey, France isn't perfect either. Uh, we also were recommended Amelie by one of our favorite listeners. That's right. So we will be hitting that up. And then there's a Breathless is a great French movie from the 60s. And uh, then uh, one of my favorite movies related to French people is Battle of Algiers. Oh, which yeah. takes place in Algeria, not France. You reap what you sow. <laughs> That's right. Uh, any films uh, that deal with anti-colonialism and uh, and the uh, imperialistic oppressors getting their, their butts kicked by the locals makes me happy. You and I both. So, uh, all right. All right, Julie and Julia. Mm-hmm. Great cast. Great ca- Oh, Meryl Streep? Get out of here. Perfect. How fun. And this is her taking a comedic turn. A bit of a comedic turn. Yeah. Well, she plays a very funny Julia Childs without, while still giving uh, the character dignity. Yeah. You know? I mean, she, she got her down pretty well. Although I would say the first five minutes when she's walking around, she sort of sounds like uh, her impression, her portrayal. Yeah. Sounds kind of like, <laughs> she makes yeah, she makes her sound like a, like a marsupial on the yeah. verge of climax. Oh, oh this is great. Ooh, coffee. I love coffee. Like she's oh, almost there. Muscles. What do we do? Oh, look at that. It's a fish. What do they call fish here? Poisson? <laughs> Butter. <laughs> That's her. That's her. So she and uh, and also they, I don't know what they did with special effects because Meryl Streep's 5'6". Yeah. And Julia Childs is, uh, I think she's like 6'1 or 6'2". Yeah, she's a very tall woman. And so I really noticed that they, they uh, made her a giantess. And she's like Brienne of Tarth, <laughs> just lumbering around these na- narrow cobblestone streets in France. And yeah, she's just this giant sort of loud, uh, gregarious American amidst a world of tiny, snooty French people. <laughs> and it's... look, everyone has this most judgmental face on. That's yeah. why I don't. I think that's why I've never visited France. It's not the language barrier; it's the people barrier. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and they make a point to say that the French are um, pretty inhospitable to newcomers and foreigners. Mm-hmm. But Julia is just able to uh, to charm them all with her oohs and ahs. Yeah, she's and like she, a dancing bear to them. Yeah, she goes to the fish markets and she she smells the fish and she shucks the oysters in front of these old uh, French fishermen. Right and. Uh, and and it's this uh, I, I see her as motive. It's motivating, you know, because you have to be, you have to be a fool mm-hmm. to uh, to gain any wisdom. You have to start from a place of ignorance and wonder, and uh, that's kind of this. She's a great character in that, you know. Yeah. She's able to just go out there unselfconsciously, and uh, and put and put herself uh, in public. 
to to find out what she likes. Yeah. You know, and so she's out here just eating whatever, probably sucking down snails. Cheese. Trying some canard la orange. <laughs> I was wondering how you would figure out a way to gras. work that in here. <laughs> you know, rabbits. So the, rabbits mean, in a bag. The film starts off with her and her husband, uh, you know, new, newly arriving in Paris. Yeah, and interesting, they work for the OSS. Right, which if you're not familiar, uh, was basically like a, uh, a a wartime intelligence agency uh, that predates, was the predecessor to the CIA. Yeah. A little side note is that she was billed as a secretary, but she was actually a top researcher. And they were basically spies, her and her husband. Yeah. For they, lack of a better term. They were spies and, and also, you know, that's a, a morally dubious. We have I have no idea what her what her actual background is and I'm sure that she had a she's got a cover story for what she did. Yeah. But uh the OSS didn't always um interact in the in the best interests of uh American citizens. They they acted in the best interests of the um American financial institutions. That's right. And yeah. the industrialists and uh, they they have a sketchy history. There's a book called The Devil's Chessboard about Alan Dulles, and Alan Dulles is one of the founders of uh, the CIA. Yep. And there's Dulles Airport in D.C. Airport named after him, which has been changed to Ronald Reagan. No, no. Dulles is still Dulles. Dulles is out in Virginia. Ronald Reagan is national. It used to be National Airport. Got it. So we've got Dulles Airport, and it's named after a pretty shady, uh, terrible guy mm-hmm. who. Um, was was the chief architect of the modern CIA, and he came out of the OSS. But these guys, they uh, one one big thing that they loved doing was finding ways to whitewash uh, German industrialist money uh, during uh, like the uh, Nazi Germany's reign and during the war. And they, you know, uh, hey, I'm not a conspiracy nut. You guys can look all of this up, but um, the OSS wasn't great. Just a little background information on Julia Child and her husband and why they were in France. I think it's 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 relevant to the movie. Yeah, yeah. So they're there, um, right? At, I mean, and this is the height of American uh, imperialism, and also like this is when we're at our the apex of our power. You know, the rest of Europe had been uh, sort of uh, wiped out and put under extreme financial and uh, institutional stress. Yeah, we're riding a high by World War II. So 1949, 1946, Americans. Uh, are the kings of the world running around and like the and every we're just we're we got money we're pouring money in through the marshall plan uh we're propping up all of these western democracies and so we're they love us stytown town was founded <laughs> yeah yeah there's the, GI, the gi bill, bill. yep and you and you hear uh, that the, even in the cooking school in France, uh, a lot of the people who are ta- the the men, it's all men who are taking this the classes to become chefs. A lot of them are former GIs. Yeah, so they're spending some of that GI Bill money. Oh, the the uh, Cordon Bleu. Those were Americans. Yeah. yeah, I think okay. Some of them. Some of them. So yeah, right. uh, at least uh, it. The, I, none of them spoke. They didn't have a single speaking line. Yeah, I can't tell from the actors, but uh, the uh, the headmistress who's in charge of the school, she said it's going to be very expensive, and most of the people taking these classes are going to be uh, men. Right. They're all going to be men, all and men. they're all going to be like soldiers. Right. So, um, so yeah, so we've got uh, Julia Childs, uh, play, you know, played by Meryl Streep, and she's there with her husband Paul, played by Stanley Tucci. Stanley Tucci, another food movie from Stanley Tucci. He yeah. is the Bruce Willis of uh, culinary film. 
Yeah, yeah, you need to put him in there. Love, love the guy. Uh, lo- yeah, loved him in this. Loved him in Big Night. Uh, he's he's great, uh, and he's also surprisingly um, he plays really well with Meryl Streep, and their their relationship is believable. He's ten years younger than her as an actor in real life during this film. So also really interesting and brave casting to have a younger husband yeah. and an and an older actress being the wife. Well, and in reality, he was 11 years older than she was in real life. The Phil child yeah. was 11 years older than... That's right. So <clears throat> so they could have gotten a much... If they wanted to cast realistically, in quotes, they, they would have had a, a much older man. But instead they decided... Like a Jason Robards. I don't even know what that is, but they, they decided to cast spectacularly. Yes, uh, they have great chemistry, and yeah. you can tell that they really love each other uh, as you know characters in this. Yeah, uh, so they're fun and quirky, uh, and it's great to see them in France. It's a it's a cool look at France, uh, and Julia Child's primary uh, challenge in this movie is that she needs to find meaning in her life. She needs something to do. Yeah, by her time. You see, in the in the late forties, all of the women that were attached to the OSS husbands, they were not doing much. You know, mm. they they were housewives. I think this film downplays a little bit of what was happening in general because they, you know, they labeled her as a secretary, but she was actually like a, a, you know, again, a high level researcher. So they decided to skip over that and they mentioned it, you know, several years later that they didn't want to bring that up to sort of sully her reputation at all. Not that she was a bad person, but... No, she was a little more involved than than but they she, wanted to. Touch she was on. a she was a spook, exactly neutralizing communists and uh, ferreting and ferrying out um, German industrialist money. And from what Noah Ephron wrote, it wouldn't have done any justice to the film itself. That's right; it would but have taken away. What I think uh, the one thing that you brought up that uh, is interesting though is that if she had all of these skills, being a researcher mm-hmm. and an analyst, that would translate very well to researching publishing editing and writing yeah yeah so so there's we're we're perpetuating a myth that sort of anybody can do this we're not really talking about the skill set that she brought to the table yeah. initially so if you've never written anything don't go starting a fucking mac and cheese blog because <laughs> no one's gonna read that shit well and that's and we'll go back to that too with uh julie, julie powell yeah because she was uh already at the, the at the top as a literary student at Amherst. At a very literary school. Yeah, so she is coming from a, a, a literary pedigree mm-hmm. when she starts her blog that is not like, you know, the everyman. She's not the everyman. Yeah. You know, she comes from an elite liberal arts college. Yeah. Uh, but, um, yeah, I just wanted to hop into this, that, that, that her Julia Child's goal is uh, is to find purpose in her life. Yeah. And to do that, she decides to join the Cordon Bleu. It's a shared common goal with Julie Powell here as well. Yeah. So the film starts off by showing newly arrived childs in uh, Paris. They're beautiful setup. You have a gorgeous apartment. Cuts to present day, or you know, 2002 in this case, um, <clears throat> with uh, Chris Messina and Amy Adams characters moving, relocating. From Brooklyn to Queens, Hell yeah. 2002. To Long so Island were, City. They were basically like Oregon Trail pioneers, like hipster pioneers back then, because no one was living in Queens at the time. I lived in uh, Long Island City in 2003. Gabe was living in Queens at the time. And it was a ghost town, yeah. dude. It seemed it, it still w- kind of is, until for the next seven months. It's, it's a little bit, uh, you know, there's no one around during the day. Like, if you wanted to film a zombie apocalypse scene in a movie where mm-hmm. the streets are empty, yeah. you could film at noon in Long Island City at that time. You could film at midnight. Yeah. I mean, it was spooky. 
spooky, but it wasn't spooky like dangerous where you were worried about you know roving gangs. It was just it was empty. Just, it was empty. So like if something if a wolf decided to attack <laughs> you, there'd be no one for blocks to hear you scream. That would be amazing if like wild wolves just ruled Long yeah. Island City. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, to, I mean, it's not that uh, far off. I mean, there are, I've been to places like Santiago in Chile where mm. they have a different culture around dogs. And you just leave these dogs on the street. And after a while, they kind of they form their own feral packs. Pack mentality. Here we've got the ASPCA or whatever and shelters for animals. Which is necessary. I yeah. Like. Yeah. You don't yeah. want packs of roving dogs. No, no. They're friendly. Like, if, as long as you've got a scrap of meat to throw them on yeah, your they're way friendly to the subway. Yeah, hand-raised and fed them. Yeah. But uh, but Long Island City also next to Newton Creek. It's what Long Island City is what divides uh, Queens from Brooklyn, and Newton Creek is the most polluted waterway in the United States. More so than the Gowatas. Yes. Okay. And there is also uh, the biggest oil spill in the United States. How does New York have such good water if we have the two most polluted? We got that reservoir. Oh right, right. Yeah. Cool. We're not getting that water from the rivers. Sure aren't. <laughs> no. No, you can't. And I've seen people fish in the Newton Creek, and That's... I just imagine they're going to pull out Blinky from the Simpsons. Yeah, the three, three-eyed three fish. Yeah. Um, so I, I think it was interesting in the beginning that they showed sort of the disparity between the levels of wealth uh, of these two couples, you know, modern-day, uh, you know, literary editor and his, you know, mid-level bureaucratic uh, wife. Yes. Versus... <laughs> Spies, spies working for the government in the in America's boom days. Right. Well, they had sort of an unregulated uh, amount of uh, CIA money. Yeah. Being uh, being thrown their way. It was yeah. They weren't even spending their own money on these lavish uh, accommodations. Sure, sure. It was our tax dollars. But going to the uh, the working class. But at that time, Not working class. But you know what I mean. You know what though? At that time, uh, there was uh, uh, what is it? Income tax was like 90 percent yeah so for uh the mega wealthy oh this is when the rich were getting taxed yeah, yeah the what rich I, were getting super taxed i wonder why we were time. doing so well then <laughs> what a fucking joke <laughs> so uh so yeah there was there was a lot more money to play with yeah more petty cash yeah in the happens. war chest and Thanks, ronald reagan you fucking <laughs> piece of shit <laughs> sorry guys yeah so now we're in this like uh, cold water flat in queens mm -hmm. And Real they... life with college debt. <laughs> and these, these uh, That's 30, my America. 30 somethings are sad to be moving there. And, you know, uh, Julie Powell, every day is soul crushing for her. Amy Adams kills it with this character. But she, she shows does up... really well. This really launched her career, I think. I didn't know that I was going to like her that much. Yeah. You know, uh, she oh, definitely. I, I love Amy Adams. Yeah, so I, I never think of her name when I'm watching a film like that she's going to be the star in it. And this is the first, this is actually the second time that uh, I've, I've found her performance to be spectacular. I saw her uh, a couple weeks ago in Vice, mm -hmm. where she plays Lynn Cheney. Yeah. Uh, and uh, she's a monster. They really cast uh, the Cheney's wife as sort of like a Lady Macbeth, yeah. propelling him further and further into grift. And uh, and war making. Yeah, I'm excited to see that film. Yeah, so uh, check it out. She's she she plays great, uh, both comedically and dramatically. Oh. She's got a real range, and um, really solid tantrums. She doesn't seem as sort of helpless and dreamy eyed as um, you know uh, Meg Ryan in um, You Got Mail. Yeah, yeah, I like her. I like her better as an Efron protagonist. Yeah, she had. Uh... <laughs> A, like a soul it seemed like 
Yeah, so she's uh, she's bummed out that her life isn't going anywhere, and every that day she gets... That was unfair to Meg Ryan. It wasn't that she didn't have a soul, it's just her character was so duped by, <laughs> by you know, the Rupert by... Murdoch of the yeah, she didn't, print she didn't, game. She didn't seem like she had fight in that movie. I mean, we're rehashing You Got Mail, but as a protagonist, it didn't seem like she had a, she had a lot of agency in what was happening. It seemed like she just got, like, gaslit and scooped up by Tom Hanks. Yeah. Whereas in this movie, Amy Adams is, we see her at the beginning of the film, and, like... A little you know, more self-made here. Yeah, and she's bummed out. She's got a terrible job. Uh, there's a lot of negative influences in her life. Um, you know, people calling in every day, talking about how they've got fiberglass in their lungs. How their, how their husband or son died in one of the towers. It's, it's, a, it's a, you know, yeah. a really rough job. And I call this, this is, she's a bureaucratic flat catcher. Flat catcher to me. Yeah, is that was a great term. I saw that. You know, you gotta, you're the one taking the calls. Your customer service. You can't really change anything, but uh, you got to listen to the complaints. And she has the most run-of-the-mill job of any of her friends who are all big New York uh, ladies. Wow. Selling, breaking down, selling buildings and putting up high-rise, just like the... You know, early 2000s pantsuit nation. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, you can see this as sort of like a... Um... I'm with me. <laughs> That's what that movement should have been called. All of these women would have voted for Hillary, and that's you know whatever. It's it's. I, I don't it's, know about that. They're striving. Maybe they might have voted Republican, uh, but I they're definitely striving to make it in the business world, and that is a form of uh, empowerment. You know, I, I I call it rainbow capitalism, where you try to you want to continue to perpetuate the system, but you want to get more representation at the top, right? You're trying. You're just trying to get different faces at the top of the pyramid, but they're not changing their behaviors. And uh, you see all of Amy Adams' friends in this. They're all they, – they don't listen to her. They're they're uh, uh, kind of crappy. Yeah, crappy they're, human they was, beings. they were the worst. And the one that seems nice uh, is the one that actually, you know, solicits an interview from her and then uh, says <laughs> she's a failed writer who's a mid-level bureaucrat. Yeah, yeah, snitching. Yeah. Sort of uh, capitalizing on, on her friend's misery her and failure. more than snitching. Yes. She, yeah. Shaming her for not making it, for not go, go, going and striving right. in this sort of like a yuppies a redux in the early 2000s. Part and this two. is like that Sex in the City era, too. Oh, absolutely. So we see that's like the representation of uh, what success is in New York and Amy Adams isn't fitting into it. So she uh, has to find her own way. And yeah. this is kind of this is really this is fun. I like this challenge that she's given herself. Yeah. Which is. uh a hundred what is it uh all every recipe in julia child's cookbook yeah in 365 days yeah. one year and there's 544 recipes so she's got to double up yep which doesn't seem uh feasible with the schedule she has but she, somehow she figures out a way to make it work so we'll get into that yeah and this is cool because it, we see uh, i'd say a theme in this movie that resonates with me is uh making the art you want to see in the world and both Julias do this. Yeah. You know, Julia Childs, is, she's searching all over France for a cookbook of French uh, recipes in English. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't exist yet. It does not. So you see a demand, you see the thing that you want, and then you spend your life making that happen. How do you feel about French food, Gabe? I'm I'm a, I'm a heavy cream boy. Are you? Yeah, I like the sa- sauciers. So you enjoy that stuff. Yeah, yeah I can't get enough. I feel like they're the most overrated cooking culture on the, in, in the world. I never go eat French cuisine, though. There's yeah. no, like, French fast food around here other than French fries. Right. So I, I don't know. Palm frits. Right. Mussels. That's a thing, right? Yeah, mussels, mussels and white wine. You, you know, ubiquitous to French food, are they? 
uh, you know, you, you tell me, man. No. You're the you're the food expert. They're not. I'm not, I'm not an expert. I just think that everything that they do, I don't know. They have, they're they're known for like their crazy techniques, which are awesome, and that's great. And they run like they used to run militaristic style kitchens with a lot of shouting and uh, we chef style stuff. But I feel like you can make anything taste good with butter and salt. And the amount of butter, salt, and cream they put in all of their cooking is incredible. Yeah, I just went to the doctor. My cholesterol is way too high. Is it sad old Polish doctor? She goes, you're you're not not. It's not good. It's really bad. Did you eat? Did you fast before we took the blood? And I was like, I, yeah, I, I fasted. I got the blood test in the morning. She's like, oh, then this is accurate. Yes. What What do you do? And I was like, I don't know. It's she's like, for heavy cream. <laughs> she's like, what do you eat? And I'm like, ice cream like three times a week. And she's oh, like, oh, well, the, quit. Don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> that's her only <laughs> advice. Well, I mean, that's what else is the doctor supposed to say to you? Like, oh, you're smoking cigarettes? Yeah, you should quit. Drink a lot? Uh huh. Quit. Yeah, how long Good should idea. I quit? Forever. Just yeah, yeah, stop. You, you just do that now. So now I'm eating more. I'm trying to eat more like um, f- high fiber meals. Yeah. Yeah. Cooked a bunch of pinto Smart. beans in my oh, that's fridge. Good legumes. Yeah, legumes. And uh, I just made a big veg- pot of vegetable soup. So watching this movie, though, inspired me to cook as well. It makes you want to put something in the oven. Yeah, right. Right, at, right in the middle of it, uh, Amber and I paused the film and I made some brownies. Well, there you go, buddy. Yeah. Brownies. <laughs> I think we're starting to figure out your, why your cholesterol is high, my guy. Um, yeah. On a side note, um, I don't want to take anything away from the French cooking because obviously their, their techniques are amazing and they influenced everybody, but... Sure. Well, you know what? It was I'll take Italian of, or Southeast Asian or Japanese any day of the week. It's a headache to hear, to try to pronounce the dishes in, in French, though, when it's like, well, what's the English translation? I just want that. Like, I'm reading Anthony one, Bourdain's right? book, and he's like, boeuf, bourguignon. Boof. And I'm like, dude, you mean beef? It's beef, right? My dad with will never red, call it. With red wine sauce? My dad's made it a hundred times when I was younger, and yeah. he was refused to call it by the French pronunciation. And he says, it's beef burgundy. I'm like, you mean boeuf bourguignon? And he would just be like, you can't say that. It's beef burgundy. And I saw that. Which is exactly what it is, translated into English. And I thought, oh, you know what? I make this it's Burgundian. Dish. You have, yeah. Yeah, I just pour in a, 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 what is it, a Guinness stout. Mm-hmm. I like a stout uh, brew. It's thick. Yeah. Beef sauce. Cross-cultural Euro uh, yeah. dish. That's like a, what is that? That's more like a St. Patrick's Day. Yeah. Uh, Irish IRA hearty meal by the way gabe and i are going to actually look through this the, the masters of french cooking julia child's book and we're going to pick a dish cook it and put it on social media for you guys to look yeah we might make two dishes one each it'll be a That's iron true. chef competition yeah. between two just two foodies yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh man that term well, Foodies I, as a term i feel like i've worked in restaurants yeah know, in my in my youth uh-huh um and i just i feel like it's when I hear the term foodie, it upsets me because I don't like being labeled as that because I like food. I also feel like you eat four times a day for your whole life, so you should really give a shit and be concerned with what you're putting in your body. It's and funny. It's like, when I think of the term foodie, I, I think of Templeton the Rat from uh, Charlotte's Web just like like <laughs> <laughs> rummaging through trash and being like, ooh, apple core. I think of basics taking pictures of their fucking salad. Food porn. Or whatever. Yeah, or like the people that review stuff on Yelp. I, just, I, I have a bad uh, association, uh, you know, a bad... Yeah. Uh, relationship well, I, with the term foodie. I looked up the term because... I like because good food and I don't like bad food. I hadn't, put it that way. I hadn't thought about the term foodie until like the mid-2000s, I think. That's when I first heard it. I don't it. even think it was ever coined. But uh, looking back, uh, I Wikipedia'd it to see like what where the origins mm-hmm. of this are. And this interest in what, food what in you the come 80s up with? and 90s it gave uh, rise to the Food Network yeah. and other specialized food programming in popular films and television shows, like uh, Top Chef and Iron Chef created this right. sort of 
nonsense. I mean, also, you know, a sad byproduct of all of Anthony Bourdain's awesome work. He, you know, he helped push that movement forward. Yeah, and it talks here about the, there's like a bunch <clears throat> of food blogs that came out, one called Food Beast and another one called Foodie World. And, uh, you know, people paying a lot more attention to like Zagat's. What Yelp. year was this? Uh, I'm not sure. I mean, all of these have different years. But Let's this just say mid-2000s just... was the first time I ever really heard it. Yeah, and then food, and then social media like a- increased it even more because now like YouTube channels can dedicate themselves to cooking and yeah, you know, is it the democratization of food? Yeah, uh, but then you get your food porn, right? You know, love uh, these erotic photos of open-faced pastrami sandwiches. Yeah, well, there was that the huge hanging out like a lolling tongue. That huge surge of all these celebrity chefs in the very, you know, in the late '90s and early 2000s. There were always the other guys, you know, the Yen Ken Cooks, the Julia Childs, James Beard, who was the first televised American chef ever. Um, and then you got like you know, the Emerald Lagasse's and the Mario Batali's. And uh, Eddie Hong was a food blogger. Sure. Yeah. So you see all these guys. This this era uh, created an explosion yeah. in uh, food culture. Around, I guess, uh, in, in in blogging a, in two thousand two, in a cooking a culture, yeah, yeah, and, um, you know, but the guys like Emerald were great. Batali is obviously kind of a monster of a human being, uh, also kind of a buffoon. I never liked watching him on 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 TV, but they they were sort of uh, like cooking clowns, you know, with catchphrases and just dumb shit. And Anthony Bourdain came along and kind of, uh, and he was like, "This is how he came out as, as Krusty the Clown, basically, yeah." <laughs> and just took it took it in a different direction. And I definitely related and responded to him far more. And his show was, I mean, everything about him was better than right anything right. Patali could do. I mean, he was obviously like I was a better cook, but <clears throat> Bourdain was a better uh, f- food uh, representative. Culturally. Yeah, well, it seemed like it got taken out of this uh, the ster- the sterility of the kitchen <clears throat> of the television kitchen set. Yeah, you know, he's taking us on tours around the world. He's uh, showing this intersection between, you know, the politics of an area and like what the and what the local cuisine is and how people are living there. Right. I mean, and he got you know progressively uh, more politically uh, inclined towards the end of his his days, but. Yeah, big shout-outs to him for just uh, really talk, uh, talking about the uh, Latinos in the kitchens, he especially was, Mexicans yeah. from Puebla yeah. and Ecuadorians. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, everything he writes about um, like Latino culture and, and our, our people south of the border is, uh, is, a, is a plus. Yeah, the other guys seem kind of like phony actors when this guy was actually a, a food journalist in a sense and a food uh, yeah. proponent. Yeah, that's right foodies yep and uh but i wanted to get back to this idea of like this movie was super motivating to me it was really inspiring and i think that anybody who's an artist can find something to take away from it like julie's exercise to write every day yeah uh i did something recently like that where i did 30 sets in 30 days stand up okay and then uh i just ended up not stopping after that and i i think i did about 100 sets in 100 days wow and now uh there's a new challenge my friend uh, comedian emily winter is putting out a new challenge that's 100 sets in 100 days and uh she recently also did this thing where it was like getting rejected 100 times over the course of a year and she just got on like uh, the today show rejected in what sense Could... uh, writing just oh, okay. packets just oh but I the idea is like put yourself out there right so the more that you do like you are going to uh come across failures but you're ultimately going to succeed because you're you're doing you're doing you're putting out things. There's output, 
And like when uh, Jul- and look, we started this podcast. Who knows how many people were going to listen to the first couple? Yeah. But as we continue to put them out, like you know, uh, we we appreciate every time we get um, comments from people on Instagram or emails or on Facebook for what we've put out. But it's like it's the same thing for anybody out there trying to create. You just got to do it, and that's what this movie is really about is julie blogging yep and at first it's just her mom listening that's right yeah terrible mom not very supportive up front yeah yeah quit don't do it worried about her daughter yeah and we're in and the worry is always toxic the worry is always fear is a mind killer as they say in dune so uh you know sometimes it's important it's important to not listen to your parents when they're not being supportive yeah Anytime you hear some some fear in their voice, tune them out right away. Overly critical at times. That's right. And uh, and in the same way, uh, Julia Child is super motivating because she goes to this uh, cooking school, has no knife skills. None. Doesn't know how to cut an onion. Yeah. And at first, the chef uh, helps her out, and then she goes home, and she spends all night chopping up onions. And then she comes back and kicks all the other dudes' asses. Do the work. Fundamentals. Yeah, yeah. You don't have that bounce pass. Get that bounce pass. Obviously, a lot of attention, pay, uh, attention, detailed attention paid to like the, you know the, the food stuff. Yeah, the deboning of that soul in the beginning was a textbook. Yeah, they just do a really good job. Obviously, you have to do it. Street probably learned everything she had to before uh, taking the role, uh, or after taking the role, I guess. Another uh, interesting thing uh, for me around art is that uh, I immediately thought nothing that we do is original. Yeah. So, like, Julia Child is a groundbreaker, but she's a groundbreaker because she studied the traditions of French cuisine and then translated them into English. Yeah. So it's not like she was coming up with anything uh, that didn't have a context. She was working within a context, and she she took what she learned, and then she transmitted that to a new audience. Yeah. And the same thing with uh, Julie. It's like, she's not doing anything original either. No. She's just reading Julia Child's book, uh doing the recipes, and then writing her own blog about it. I mean, it's we started a podcast where we're reviewing movies. We're, That's right. We're one in a million. We are Julie Pals. Yeah, there's 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 not, you know, I mean, I'm sorry, we're, we're one of millions. <laughs> one in a million. But don't listen to any other film podcast. Yeah, this, well, is yeah. The, this is the best, the premiere. Um, yeah, I mean, like, eventually when you create, when you come up with an idea, I was given this really good piece of advice when I was at a comedy writing uh, class year, a couple of years ago at UCB. The, the, the teacher was basically said, no matter what the idea is you, you have, somebody's come up with it, so it doesn't matter. You just write it. Right. You make it your own. Eventually, it becomes your own. So the point is, never look at a blank page. Start doing shit. And don't worry about telling people about your ideas and them stealing them because they it, – stealing it is everybody's already had the idea. It's who's going to actually execute it. Yep. So, Yeah. Do some do something. Uh, work towards your passion it's every day. A bit of an inspirational podcast, Gabe. That's what we're all about here. Inspo, food porn, a lot of coffee. Yeah, stri- um, strive for excellence. You know what I really liked about this film, by the way, I like the two main male characters in this film. It's it's about time that there was a positive male representation. Mm, supportive. We've seen. Yeah. yeah. Not no Blair Underwoods. <laughs> no, you know who? No fucking scummy Tom Hanks's. Uh, these guys were just very genuinely loving and supporting husbands. Right. And they didn't have, I mean, okay, so Stanley Tucci's character works for the OSS, but he doesn't come across as a, he seems like he's like a librarian or something. He seems like a sweetheart. Yeah. yeah. He, he's not a, he's not a, a cutthroat um, marketing 
guru. Oh, he's just like Matthew ass, McConaughey and yeah. uh, How to Lose a Guy in Ten Days, just uh, pumping blood diamonds into the economy. Yeah. Um, it was nice to see. Yeah, that's all. I'm gonna and say. Chris Messina's character, dude, he's he's an angel. He's good. He is. She calls him an angel, a saint. He put up with a lot. He also got fed really well. Yeah, for a year. Perks. Yeah, yeah all the bruschetta mm-hmm. he could eat. And she, her character, Amy Adams, get into it a little bit. Very self self centered. Yes. I mean, not a, not unlikable by any stretch. Well acted, really good character, but very self absorbed. Uh, a lot of uh, more so bre- than anyone else in the film. A lot of emotional breakdowns. Several tantrums. Uh, totally fine. Yeah. Amber looked at me. She was like, uh, we, we're looking at each other, and it's very much like, oh, yeah, one of us does that here all the time. I just kept looking over at her. <laughs> and then she's like, why don't you ever have breakdowns? And I'm like, I suppress everything and have high cholesterol. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Your disdain turns into LDL. Yeah, you'll live longer, but uh, I am a an Easter Island head. <laughs> you got the mouth on a statue. <laughs> um. Uh, one other thing, I, 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 this movie made me hate America so much. And, you know, I'm not here to say, like, I'm not. Here's things that I thought about. What, why was our food so bad before Julia Childs? Like, these Americans go to France and they're like, the food is so great. It's like, were we just pigs, like, eating in troughs before this? I mean, I think it was all the mass-produced food um, that the Americans were eating. And it was just, you know, the, the, the grocery store mentality where everything was packaged and nobody had a real connection to their food. It was just more seen as like a, a chore as opposed to something that you really should pay attention to or care about. It's like food, food is fuel. And then because Americans were immigrants from Europe, so they're coming here with their Italian traditions. They're coming with their French traditions. They're coming with, well, their Mexican traditions from all over the world. Mm-hmm. And uh, did, did everyone just get here and forget? Were they just like, I like mac and cheese. I mean, I think that what yeah, I think culturally speaking, their different ethnic pockets all had all stayed true to their foods. Yeah, and then you know, America found a way to bastardize them. Like when the Chinese immigrants, Americans wouldn't eat real Chinese food, right? The same as they wouldn't eat real Italian food. They would eat fucking spaghetti and meatballs and lo mein. <laughs> right, they're dumbed like chum, down, down for the Protestant palate. I guess is the, what I'm trying to tell you. Yeah, uh, they brought they brought the food sensibilities of the Irish and the English, which were probably. Yeah, not the best choices. Uh, yeah. I don't remember a lot of French immigrants in America. I feel like there's so many less of them. They're like, who is our primary uh, consumer for our products? Yeah. And and it it's just looks like uh, the Quaker Oats dude walking I, into your restaurant, and you're like, okay, cut the salt, cut I, the soy sauce. I guarantee you, all the ethnic minorities in America at this time were eating way better than the uh, the whites who claim to own it. <laughs> the whites who claim to be American. Yeah, real Americans. But uh, so that's that's one thing that made me really <laughs> angry, critical of an angry podcast of uh, our palate in, yeah. here in this country, and mm-hmm. it's like we're just rediscovering things that have exi- ha- have made life joyful for humanity. Yeah, up to this point, I may have referenced this before in one of our podcasts. There was this film, an Oliver Stone movie called uh, Heaven and Earth, about uh, a GI who falls in love with a uh, Vietnamese woman, brings mm-hmm. her home to America. And there's a scene where she first walks into a, a supermarket, and she's like in shock, and how how weird and sterile everything is. I mean, and I think that's what people think of when they think of, especially American cooking culture. You know, in the '30s, '40s, '50s, and '60s. Um, yeah, and it, up up until recently, with with these new chefs being famous and people, act, like. Right, pleading for you to care more about what you're doing and sustainability, not these steroids-infested Monsanto. You know, scum, scum <laughs> urchins. Right. Well, like I went to 
uh, Ecuador. GMO pumping fucking I ate monsters. corn. I ate corn for the first time mm-hmm. in Ecuador that didn't look like Jolly Green Giant. Yeah. Like corn kernels. Oh, man. I mean, to get into that, like, the, you know, the mass production of all this food and these these companies, the you know, when you get apples at the supermarket, if you actually take a red apple and put it in, like, hot boiling water, yeah. the color goes off. They put oxygen in apples to keep them preserved, which takes away the taste. Anything wow. you can do to pump a bunch of garbage into people's bodies and make money is what is what happened in America for a long, long time. Or like uh, doing extra work. There's always the table catering table, and they have a uh, cantaloupe, and cantaloupe is like the food. It's 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 always filler. in season, it, and it, it's always like a pale color, right. and it's like styrofoam that they use to pad the rest of the uh, like fruit plate. Mm. And then I went to Ecuador, and my friend's family had a cantaloupe plantation down there. In Ecuador? uh, uh, Sorry, this was in Costa Rica. I was going to say, yeah. And uh, they had, and it was the first time that I ever tasted a real cantaloupe. Yeah. Was down there. I mean, I had pineapple down there, and I was like, this doesn't taste like pineapple. (laughs) Yeah. I was like, I've been lied to my whole life. You basically have. It's like I ate the blue pill or a red pill. Yeah. Went crazy. Yeah. Um, But yeah, so I started wearing sunglasses, put on a leather jacket, Mm -hmm. turned into like the fruit Morpheus. Just ate hard fruit. Yeah. Um, Yeah, so, so good. I'm glad that Americans in the past 10 or 15 years especially have really started to wake up when it comes to where they get their food. Another uh, thing about the U.S. For those and, who can afford to, I guess. The intersection of business and art here is the mm-hmm. publishing, right? Okay. So we see, we see that uh, Julia Childs tried so hard to, like, she had this encyclopedic book with everything you need to know about French cooking. Yeah. Like, I want that. This Bible. And she takes it to the American publishers, and they're like, hey, um, check out this book. It's about how you can microwave things. And it was just a, a book for, like, house housewives with no time to, like, mm. you know, make goulash. Without servantless housewives? Yeah. What a weird term. It's like, how can, how can we make stew with plastic bags and microwaves? You yeah. know? And so that, that was a bummer. And it made me think of... Like I saw this great movie on uh, Ray Kroc, who was the founder of. It's called the, the movie's called The Founder, but it's about Ray Kroc was the the CEO of McDonald's, mm. but he didn't start McDonald's. No, McDonald's was started by two dudes named McDonald's. Yeah, and they were they uh, had like just a couple restaurants in San Bernardino, all clean, simple flavors, all like local foods, uh, and it was fast food, but it was you know they they created this um, very convenient almost mechanized uh, processing system with like a, an elite squad of their employees. Yeah. And Ray Kroc took this idea and franchised it. But in the process of doing that, he turned McDonald's into this sort of like real estate scam prosperity uh, gospel like yeah. um, corporation and uh, stopped using those clean, simple flavors in those good products. And just directly almost destroyed farming in America. Like real farmers <laughs> in America have no, you know, they're they're the victims here. Yeah, well, how about the rainforest? It's like we need to chop that down to make more sure. cattle grazing yeah. area for our, our McPatties. Yep. Let cow, cow farts degrade the ozone. Yeah, so, and, and, all, and uh, so all of this, how we sort of pervert these things by trying to scale them up. Yeah. And uh, that seems like a very American uh, ingenuity. It's like all of our ingenuity and can-do is uh, focused on making things worse. And easier and worse, yeah. <laughs> you know, that's Americans. 
though the 70 hour work week you don't have time to cook you just put pop a bag in the microwave and eat garbage and then die of cancer 20 years later hey man that's why you got to cook your own beans look you take two pounds of pinto beans soak and you soak shit. them for 20 12 hours and then uh and then the next and then you take them you boil them up with a little bit of uh uh garlic some onion salt pepper paprika cayenne pepper and then you and then you freeze half of it in a gallon Ziploc bag. Yeah, lasts forever. I'm gonna have a hearty bowl of beans after this. That sounds that sounds good. I might mix it with rice. It's probably a good idea. That's very starch heavy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it's like a perfect protein. You mix those two things. Agreed. All right. What do you think? Final thoughts. Final thoughts. Um, I I I thoroughly enjoyed this movie. It's a good watch. Just uh, snuggle up on a couch with a date and, and make a roast. That's what I'm talking about, man. And don't worry about using that burgundy wine or whatever. Yo, you can just pour some uh, <laughs> some of that stout, that Guinness stout in there. Sure. It's a different dish, I think. but It is a different dish. Yeah. And, uh, Guinness well, beef stew. I like this so much. I liked it so much better than you got mail. I found it inspiring. Uh, it's It aligns with what I'm trying to do which is one thing every day mm-hmm. to further the art, to create new products. Uh, this movie is a roadmap for excellence and you've got two examples in it for living your best life, both Julia and Julie. I wish they were friends in real life. I wish they got to meet before Julia Childs died in 2004. Unfortunately they didn't. Uh, but uh, also this film is about leaving a lasting legacy and both of these women did, yeah. you know, and they helped Nora Ephron who passed away uh, shortly after this movie, yeah. leave another lasting legacy. So there's three women crushing it in, yeah. in this movie. The movie did examples. great. Streep was obviously nominated for an Academy Award. She won the Golden Globe. Really? For this? Yeah. Yeah. You know what she... they liked? They liked her playing a giant. <laughs> I mean, she also nailed the you know the Julia Child impression better Ooh. than... I mean, Dan Aykroyd killed it on SNL, which is my first... You know, I think I maybe had seen Julia Child on TV once or twice... Yeah, didn't yeah. know anything about her. No. I learned everything about her from this movie. And honestly, before this, I thought that she was just another. I thought she was a hacky American uh, cook who was making nonsense. No, she was food. like a, she was a game changer. She's like if she, if she was a rapper, if she was in hip hop, she'd be the RZA. Right, going to Africa mm-hmm. with Ghostface, just putting putting everybody on before they uh, before. And then they came back from that with Supreme Clientele. They wrote most of that in Africa. Yeah, yeah. Did they really? Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, because Ghostface had diabetes. Oh, shit. And he went to Africa to heal himself. Did it work? He's around. I think diabetes is for life. Yeah. You know, it might have been like type 2. It, I don't know the, how the bad minimal, his health yeah, problems yeah. are. But uh, he didn't want to deal with Western med. He wanted to go uh, over and like eat good, good, clean foods and take herbs. Yeah. So, um, yeah, she's like the RZA. I like it whenever we tie this to Wu-Tang mythology. Mm-hmm. That helps. Uh <laughs> Oh, best, uh, and then uh, another thing, best comedic lobster cooking scene since Annie Hall. Yeah, you like that one. I did. Yeah. I did. I wanted to hear more screaming, though. They don't really, yeah, I don't think it screams. Yeah. It's just air coming out of their, uh... Out of their hole? Their, yeah, out of the holes in the skin. <laughs> have you ever cooked a lobster before? Like a tea kettle, boiling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, That's I have exactly cooked a lobster. Like. Yeah. I make, I make a mean bisque. It's really not that bad, by the way. Too, a lot of cream, though. Sure. A lot of cream in the bisque. We'll just do it differently. Why is it that French people don't die from heart attacks more often? I don't know. 
I, I was actually researching uh, the unhealthiest countries in the world after yeah. watching this because I wanted to see where France, because everything... I mean, you look when she opens her fridge at one point, mm-hmm. there's nothing but butter and heavy cream in her fridge for, you know, nine-tenths of the recipes she's making. Uh, America's tied at number 10 with Lithuania. Uh, nice. It's all, good to be a great company. All Eastern European countries. Have... Hungary, Poland, they're, they're the top 10. They're all in the top 10 of unhealthiest countries in the world, which is crazy. Wow. I think a lot of that is uh, is is directly because of uh, the amount of cigarettes are consumed, but their diets are not great. And the the general... Russia's uh, up there, number two. The general pessimism. Croatia's number one, I think. Sure. No, Czechoslovakia. Yeah. Well, you know, they need to get that champion mindset. Right. You know, it's all mental. I mean, stop smoking cigarettes and eating garbage. Uh, yeah. Well, it's traditional, you know? Seems like a call to arms for us to, for, for you to farm your own stuff. So uh, I think um, a takeaway I got from this is that happiness is not a state of, of being either. It's something you create yeah. yourself. Yeah, and it's it takes actions. And you have to commit to these actions, and you have to accomplish tasks to uh, to reach any uh, degree of happiness. Yeah. You know, because both Julia and Julie do reach that, and it's uh, through hard work and perseverance that they make it happen. Yeah, and even if at the end they didn't really meet or sync up and Julia Child didn't really love the, the blog or found it disrespectful in some way, which I don't understand how. She was like 92, man. I don't even know if she was reading it. Probably just bitter. Yeah, it was some hearsay. She was probably on some uh, get-off-my-lawn type nonsense. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm glad you enjoyed it. Yeah, man, me too. Me too. Uh, it's... Uh, this was this was a treat to watch, and uh, I highly recommend it. I give this uh, five spatulas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a nice. I see what you did there. Nice work. Uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm gonna agree with Gabe. Great date night movie. Just a really good movie in general. Inspiring. That's why we're so amped up and preachy today. <laughs> yeah, man, I'm feeling positive today. It could be yeah. it could be the uh, quarter of pill of Adderall I took, or it could be that the movie was great. Yeah, both. Yeah. How about both? How about both? Cool. Well, thanks for listening, guys. As always, uh, Gabe and Gabe and I are enjoying our time with you. Hope you are. Sammy, I cherish these uh, fireside chats that we have. They're the best. Yes. Um, so uh, please, everybody, rate, review, and subscribe, and tell your friends. The only way we're going to get more listeners is if you spread the gospel yeah. of uh, eat, pray, judge. And be on the lookout for uh, whatever we end up cooking. We'll post it on the Instagram and, uh, and Twitter. Yeah. And check it out. and. We'll probably do two dishes. One will be heavy cream. Mm-hmm. And then you guys, if you if you feel motivated, if you're going to watch this movie, cook something to it. Yeah. And, and, and share it with us. We'd love to see what you guys are doing. If you have a favorite Julia Child's uh, recipe, let us know. Yeah. All right. All right, guys. See you later.